0: But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. People of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even the most humble among you, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist and the sun shall turn to darkness and the moon To blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Gosh, at my baby girl's royal wedding, I'm going to have John Deke read that scripture. (laughs) I can picture it now. I will be sitting there in St. George's Chapel, the slightly uncomfortable American mother in my understated but compulsory hat, looking at my baby in her $500,000 dress, holding hands with her dreamy beloved, Princess Charlotte, And John Deke will get up, and instead of First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, instead of Song of Solomon, set me as a seal upon your heart, no, instead John Deke will stand at the podium in front of a sea of aristocracy, celebrity, and a frowning king, and read blood and fire and smoky mist the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. John, where did you go? Oh, I'm preparing you because this is definitely going to happen, okay? Okay. Okay. That would be a little awkward, right? Um, some of you know that I enjoy awkward. Uh, which, is why, which is why I really enjoyed yesterday's royal wedding, especially Bishop Michael Curry's rousing black church sermon in the midst of the most formal Church of England pageantry. As one of my Facebook friends, Robert Griffin, put it, Bishop Curry needs an amen corner. (laughs) It's a little quiet in that chapel. But as the first African-American head of the Episcopal Church, and no offense to my Episcopals, I am guessing Bishop Curry has preached once or twice before with a similar enthusiasm to congregations that catch the spirit with sacred silence and straight-faced assent. My very American interpretation of the Anglican Church's highest ritual, much of which comes from viewing the crown, is that the highest form of respect is expressed in complete and utter stillness. But that felt like kind of an awkward response to a sermon coming out of a tradition in which the church's response is vocalized, right? Uh, but I would not have traded an ounce of that awkwardness for the traditionally very white wedding that I was expecting, because there is something, there is something sacred in awkwardness, in the awkwardness of crossing those boundaries, of doing something new, to include someone new. There's beauty in that kind of disturbance. What was not so disturbing, at least on the surface, was the topic of Bishop Curry's sermon, which was... Love. How surprising to come to the most traditional Western heteronormative wedding on the planet And to challenge the participants with a talk about love. I say that with a little bit of cynicism because, honestly, as I heard him beginning to talk about love, to say the word over and over again, to acknowledge how many people had shown up in that space because two young people fell in love, 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 love. I felt some kind of dissonance in my soul about the violent hate that has permeated our news this week. Just two days ago, an armed young person murdered 10 people in another school shooting, reigniting this perpetual and endlessly frustrating gun control debate that always seems to stagnate until the next hate-filled mass shooting Talking about love in such a week of violent hate feels confusing. And then there are the more than 60 Palestinians now killed by young Israeli soldiers on the Gaza border on Monday. How can one talk about love in this pristine English chapel while residents of Gaza recover from grave wounds and Israelis trade emotional interpretations of the violence. How can we talk about love after a week like this? On Monday night, I was praying on the text of today's Pentecost story. And there was this one detail of the story that I could not stop thinking about. In the setup to today's story, Acts 1, verses 12 and 13 read, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And it was in that room That a, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a violent wind and divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And these Jewish pilgrims and immigrants were outside in Jerusalem from all over the world. And they heard these provincial country bumpkins from Galilee speaking to them, each in their own native language, languages from all over the world. And they were amazed and astonished. And it was this this beautiful miracle of marginalized folks who probably had never been outside their own country being able to communicate to these cosmopolitan world travelers across barriers of language and culture and class and power. There's so many interesting pieces to this Pentecost story that we read every year. But on this particular Monday night, the detail that stuck onto me that I could not brush aside was this detail that this boundary-crossing miracle occurred in a room upstairs where they were staying in the city of Jerusalem, a city that is about 50 miles away from Gaza. This miracle of understanding across difference took place In Jerusalem, where that same day that I was praying on this passage, the United States unilaterally moved its embassy, a direct provocation to the peace process in the region under the official prayers of American Christian Zionists who support the state of Israel while also believing that its Jewish residents will go to hell when the Messiah returns. This miracle across Difference of understanding across difference took place just 50 miles from a border where people were killed over divisions that are generations deep, where violence and suffering feel so normal, and understanding across difference feels like a fairy tale. So, as I read this Pentecost story on Monday night, I have to tell you that I felt a deep discomfort. And I felt this, I felt this unyielding tug at my heart to talk about what is going on in Gaza. It has been a spiritual necessity for me to be in dialogue about that this week with people. So I set off with this question, you know, where is that spirit working in Israel-Palestine today, because if that understanding across difference, Pentecostal spirit is doing anything in Jerusalem or modern-day Judea today, the news is not covering it. So I went in search for that spirit movement, wherever it may be. And I started with talking with David Wildman here. David works for the Board of Global Ministries in the United Methodist Church as the Executive Secretary for the Middle East, Human Rights, and Racial Justice. I wish I had an easy job like David's. <laughs> David, in our worship planning, you were also given the title most likely to correctly pronounce or have been to the places named in the first reading. So that's one of the reasons we had you read Thank you. <laughs> so I had some really good conversation with David. And one of the groups he told me about that gave him hope um, was a group called Combatants for Peace. Has anybody ever heard of this group? Um, there's a, a documentary on Netflix uh, about this group called Disturbing the Peace. It's very good. And it is about this um, This community of former Israeli soldiers and former Palestinian militants who started to meet in secret more than 10 years ago, and they talked together honestly about their experiences, they tried to understand the other side, they studied nonviolent resistance movements together, and they are building this grassroots movement for peace. In the documentary, there are about 10 people who are interviewed, and you hear about the the painful experiences of loss, generational experiences of loss, and the polarized narratives that led them to fight the other side. And you hear about the people that they, as individuals, have harmed in in their militancy. And then for each one of them, there is some turning point, some experience that made them rethink this way of being. So whether it was watching Schindler's List in an Israeli prison, coming to some understanding of the historical context of Israel, or being ordered to raid a Palestinian home in the middle of the night to arrest a sleepy young child, everyone had some experience like this, a moment when their narrative was complexified. And they realized that they needed to find a different way to honor their ancestors and make the world safer for their descendants. So in this documentary, this group, it seems like a little small and embattled. Israeli participants are denounced as treasonous by their fellow country folk, Palestinian participants are chided by members of their own families for even talking to the oppressors. And their demonstrations against the occupation at the border, they feel small. There may be 50 people marching with, their, with these paper mache doves, you know, and, and their signs for peace made out of cardboard. Now, I don't know how well this group is doing doing today, I know they're still organizing and they're still working hard. The most recent news stories I could find about them are about participants telling their stories in public libraries in the United States. So it feels small. It feels grassroots. And it is not as captivating as fields on fire and tear gas canisters flying. But their work was honestly the most hopeful thing I encountered in this week of dialogue and searching. It feels like, you know, if you're looking for divine spirit that brings understanding across difference, it's here. Among these former enemies in secret meetings and public library presentations, these small flickers of change. So thank you, David, for pointing me to that group. I also reached out to John Deek, uh, not only because I want to butter him up to read at my daughter's royal wedding, but because he is a very accomplished musician and composer and he founded the Very Young Composers Program, which works with small children, like elementary age, I believe, around the world to help them create music that's played by professional orchestras. And John has been developing the program recently in Palestine. And so I sat down and we had breakfast and talked about his experiences. So these conversations I had were really, really great and meaningful. But I have to be real with you all. Um, That nudging, that pull on my soul to get into this um, Israel-Palestine stuff this week. It was about more than just talking with our parishioners who work especially among Palestinians. Because here's the thing. feels like there are these two sides to all of this, right? To be too pl- simplistic about it, there is an Israeli side and a Palestinian st- side, and each side speaks a different language. But even deeper, each side speaks a different narrative. Each side speaks a different history. Each side speaks a completely different interpretation of every event, And I know that my limitation is that I really know only one of those sides well. The classes that I've taken on Israel-Palestine have been taught from the Arab and Muslim perspective. The movements I'm aligned with strongly support boycott and divestment from companies that are involved in the Israeli occupation. So I'm kind of on one side. And that side's language, it makes a lot of sense to me, and the other side's language doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I'm just being real with you here. And I think that unlike Kay and Lee, um, on the question of Israel-Palestine, this has always been kind of a, a boundary that I've never crossed with my Jewish friends. It's been a separation that I've not felt comfortable questioning. I'm actually kind of afraid to ask about it. And instead of asking or talking about it, I choose to just kind of go around assuming that every Jewish friend, every Jewish clergy person that I know is uncritical of the Israeli government and that if I told them my real questions about Palestine and Israel and if I told them what I really think about it, That they would like just cut me off, Um, and of course that is not fair. That's not really fair, but it is comfortable. And so this week I have been discomforted by the spirit's nudge to actually be in touch with rabbis Shuli and Felicia from B'nai Jeshurun, our partner synagogue. And I told them, very honestly, you know, I usually run in circles that are very sympathetic to Palestinian suffering, but I want to know what others are thinking. I want to understand. And so I asked how they are framing the killing of Palestinians this week for their congregation and for themselves. And I ran some of my ideas by them about what I was thinking about speaking about today And I felt very vulnerable and very uncomfortable. And they were both very gracious. And they sent me some resources, some articles, some honest thoughts about how my words struck them. And they expressed deep grief about the suffering that was going on in the region. And we committed to talk more. And that was about all that we could accomplish in the course of a few days. So unfortunately, St. Paul and St. Andrew, I did not solve peace in the Middle East this week. And maybe I didn't find necessarily where the Spirit is working in Jerusalem and Gaza, but I did find it here, in this tiny, stupidly small step of me with... A lot of anxiety sending an email to my Jewish clergy colleagues stumbling to respectfully ask questions about Gaza. And I found the Spirit working in their willingness to engage with me and to relate to me and to talk more with me. And you know, I think that is part of the miracle. I think in these one-to-one conversations Maybe the flames of Pentecost are miraculously giving us the ability to begin to understand one another across difference. John Deak and I had some good conversation puzzling over the reading that he did. Uh, You know, that blood and fire and smoky mist stuff, the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood. You could so easily see uh, that reading that blood and fire and smoky mist in the, in the Gaza border this week, right? As Palestinians were being gunned down, as fire rose from burning tires, as smoky mist of tear gas streamed through the air. You could also, in that same vein, you could so easily think with that dangerous Christian Zionist theology, that this is what has been predicted all along. This violence is inevitable. This is God's will. But John and I, in our conversation, we came up with a different understanding. You know, these cosmic events and miraculous phenomena in the sky and on the earth, they are tied to these words from the prophet Joel about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh and sons and daughters prophesying and young people seeing visions and elders dreaming dreams and even upon slaves, even upon the most marginalized, the most voiceless people of all genders, even they shall receive the Spirit. Even they shall prophesy. And that prophecy from Joel, of giving voice to all people is connected by Peter to what was going on on that Pentecost day. This miracle of understanding across difference, this miracle of communication. And so maybe it is that these, these small miracles of communication, these tiny steps of understanding, this day-to-day work that people like David and John do to pray for refugees and to teach Palestinian children to write music these uncomfortable emails between clergy colleagues these little peace marches among former enemies with papier-mâché doves maybe these these little things these tiny miracles of understanding across different disturbances of the same old divisive narratives these things that seem so unnewsworthy Maybe they are actually as cosmically significant as the moon turning to blood. Maybe these are the hidden cosmic shifts that will change the world. Maybe before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, before lasting and sustained peace, we need not to look at the provocations of governments at the highest levels. We need not look at embassy ceremonies led by titans of worldly powers, but we need to look to the places where the spirit is quietly and uncomfortably sowing seeds of true peace and justice like black preaching in a white royal wedding. Wasn't the awkward discomfort of that moment simply an embodiment of the love that Bishop Curry was preaching about? Because he wasn't just preaching about that happy ending horse-drawn carriage into the castle falling in love kind of love. No, Bishop Curry was talking about the kind of love that you get after 10, 20, 70 years of marriage, a love that is deeper than feeling. And Bishop Curry was preaching Dr. King kind of love. He was talking about civil rights movement kind of love, the revolutionary kind of love that Jesus taught about that is not just for the easy to love, but that kind of love that is for the hard to love. The uncomfortable kind of love. That I don't like you but I love you, kinda love. That I don't I love you so much that I have to tell you the truth about our relationship, kind of love. That I love you so much that I cannot stand injustice or comfortable deceptions between us, kinda love. That I'm gonna sit in my fancy hat next to Oprah and the Queen of England in this awkwardness, I'm just gonna take it in, kinda love. The pour out your spirit on all flesh, not just powerful flesh, not just in the news of flesh, not just armed and violent kind of flesh, but all flesh shall prophesy, all flesh shall tell their truth, all flesh shall be part of justice and peace-building kind of love. That is the kind of love that the Holy Spirit shall reveal before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. May it be so. Amen.